Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Describe Paris Bercy. Epic. That's what I'm saying. Epic. <laughs> do you, epic matches. Do you mean? Do you mean epic in a good way or epic in a bad way or a little bit of both? Well, epic is always good and bad, isn't it? <laughs> it's great in the moment. That's the thing. Is the epicness in the moment is so so much fun. And it's everything that you want, and it's great. But then the the after effects, the the consequences of the epicness, it's really tough for players, isn't it, to uh, to uh, to then really back it up. I mean, if you think even on the first couple of days, I know we've had the late nights. That's of course been the focus. But even on the first couple of days, in round one, four players won a match after being match point down. Four players. <laughs> it's just absolutely extraordinary. It was just epic of epic, just consistently back to back. Amazing. It's uh, yeah. It, it, it's like when there's an upset brewing and you're so caught up in it, and it's the most amazing thing in the world. And then you get to the next round, and you're like, oh, what could have been and what is? No disrespect to any of the players. Do you know what I mean? You get so like, this is amazing, and they won. And in the next round, you're like, right, okay, this is not what we expected. I think though, and this happens every year at Bercy because you're indoors. You've got the two courts, obviously you've got the main show court, and the other one that's like sort of being in a gym, isn't it? The ceiling's not that high, and it's just a bit smaller and compact. Um, but it's this time of year when is there, there are how many, what, six matches on the centre court a day? Is that right? Yes. So yes, six, six matches on the centre court. Things don't seem to be moving that quickly. You're at a stage of the season when there are injuries plenty players holding themselves together players who've still got a lot to play for I mean my heart went out to Taylor Fritz who could have qualified for Turin but the ab and he's done and he's home it, there is so much going on that the last thing they need are these epic match are we going to talk about Andy Murray I mean, we have to talk about Andy Murray but in terms of most recently Yannick Sinner now before he even I think I messaged you saying Sinner should be fine it should be straightforward. It ends up going, what, three sets, finishing at 2.30 in the morning. And, and how on earth is that straightforward, um, productive, conducive, healthy? I mean, it's none of those things. Well, it seems, I mean, it seems no one can serve it out this week. That's the thing. <laughs> Sinner was serving it out in the second set. And uh, we've just seen that time and time again. Sverev was serving out his match and just wasn't able to get it done it just yeah it's been remarkable players have been on the brink of winning and it's just been really tough I don't really know where that's come from or why that is I can't really see any obvious reason for it but yeah that's what's really created so much of the drama and the epicness that that we've seen and uh yeah yeah so I mean it's it's been great it's been edgy seat sort of stuff but as I say it's fantastic in the moment and then it's the the after effects can be a little tougher for the players to to deal with but uh, look you could be winning straight forward like Andre Rublev is doing no fuss no <laughs> nonsense he's cruising through everybody else is sort of taking lumps out of each other is this for you a big problem the 
the late finishes. We know things are slightly changing in Australia. There's going to be one less match on, on the main show courts because we've had some chronic finishes out there. We look back to was it Kokonakis and, and, and Murray this year. How big a problem? And, and as an athlete, how damaging is it being on, on that kind of schedule when you're finishing at that kind of time and then you're having to kind of go again the next day? Yeah, look, it's brutal, isn't it? It's it's not ideal and it's not what the tournaments would plan. Uh, I don't think they would want, they, I don't think they would choose that in terms of starting in and around midnight. Um, you know, it does seem sort of madness and it's not a grand slam, so you don't have the next day off. You know, Sinner's back on the schedule fourth today. Um, you know, so it's... Uh, yeah, as I say, it's the, it's the consequences of it, isn't it, really? I think I remember Madrid, maybe it wasn't this year, the year before, Zverev was in the final against Alcaraz, but he'd had three late, late matches in a row to get to the final, like three past midnight finishes or something like that. And he was completely toast in the final. He just couldn't. He was then playing in the afternoon and he just he just couldn't quite get it together. So it is the tennis that suffers in the end because you do get those those dud matches and and it is something that yeah if you could say I could change one thing about tennis it that's probably what I would would change um but uh but you know I also do understand the argument of the late night finishes it's really exciting and uh uh you know I understand that's a big part of tennis but uh you know as I say late night is is 11 o'clock not <laughs> three o'clock in the morning that's tomorrow that's not, that's not late night that's tomorrow but it's ex- but then I wonder who's it exciting for, and I know exactly what you mean when you're commentating on an absolute epic, whatever time it is in the morning. I remember doing Monfils Federer at the U.S. Open, and that was like one o'clock in the morning, and it was the best thing ever. So when you're involved in it, but but no one, Bennett, you know, whoever's commentating, players watching, I I don't see the the benefit to anyone. Do you see what I mean? So the crowd, they get to watch the match, but they might have to leave earlier. There's no transport. They can't get back or they're tired. It it doesn't seem there's too many winners from matches going late, 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 apart from in the moment when you're like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I just think that really, it's it's just that the matches, everything's so much longer now. It, it, It just, it is. I mean, Djokovic came through his match against Echeverry pretty comfortably and it still took an hour and 40 minutes you know, players aren't rolling through matches in 45 minutes. And is I think that lot conditions? Of... Is it balls? Is it, are people getting stronger? Are people getting yeah. more? What is it? It's just the physicality of, of the game now. The fact that, you know, people are able to roll through their service games that bit easier. Um, you know, that they're able to deal with the, the pace and the quality. It just feels like the depth is is just that that much stronger now and that if you're ranked number five number six in the world you can't just expect to cruise through um, a few matches uh, you know to to get yourself to a a really strong position in the tournament or or go deep at least so yeah I mean it just because I mean a lot of people were saying with Bercy well if the courts are so quick how come the matches are so long (laughs) doesn't make any sense but quicker courts make it slightly easier to hold Um, so you do just get a lot of players rolling through I say that but I also admit that players have really struggled to serve matches out this week it's just been I don't know what's been going on it's been crazy um but yeah it does make it just that much easier to hold so it means that even if you're the underdog you're going to be in the match that little bit more and that sort of thing so you're going to get more three sets and uh yeah yeah epic I wish I'd been working on the Paris Masters this week because it would have meant that 
I didn't have to do the trick or treating in the Halloween. You know, I don't like Halloween. Don't like Halloween. But children love it because they get lots of sweets. Would you believe? And we live in a quite a, a nice area. It's nice, isn't it? It's all right. Uh, one of our pumpkins was stolen. Stolen. Oh, yes. Oh, outside one of the and they'd carved it. One of the twins had carved it. We we actually were we went somewhere else for trick or treating at a party. Our friends had this thing thing. Lovely. Got back. One of the pumpkins was gone gone oh it wasn't blown away by the storm we haven't had the storm no, yet no so because no. The st- no the storm is currently ongoing <laughs> we hadn't had the storm someone took the pumpkin who does that who takes a child's pumpkin it, it had obviously been carved by a child because it had a very strange wonky nose and mouth who steals a child's pumpkin yeah that's not cool is it but you see that's all these cool, videos of people stealing sweets and all sorts and halloween it's just sort of an excuse to be out on the streets and <laughs> causing nuisance dressed as kind of frightening scary things with sort of hammers out of their heads and chainsaws oh god i don't like it i mean the boys had a great time they dressed up they were with their friends but we got them back they were probably in bed by about 8 30 you gotta remember they're only eight so that's a good time 9 30 there's a knock on the door one of the boys suddenly thinks it's some sort of scary halloween creature coming in with kind of an axe or something and there were like four little children outside at 9 30 at night asking for sweets I mean, is that a bit late? I'm talking little. Primary yeah. school. Well, it's, def- it's definitely late, isn't it? It's, it's, it's definitely late, but I, maybe the parents were still at work for a while and that was the only way they could manage it. I don't know. But the good thing is, I survived it, it's finished, and when we were trick-or-treating, in one of the houses we saw a Christmas tree. And even for me, that's early. Even for me, that is just going... You put a... I don't know, you put a blanket over it. You don't have a Christmas tree on, on trick-or-treating evenings. So... It's uh, it's done, and I'm I, I'm I'm really relieved. And the good thing about the pumpkin being the stolen is I didn't have to get rid of it, so it was kind of the job was done. So um, yeah, sorry, I I just got distracted because I thought if I'd been working on Paris, <laughs> then I wouldn't have had to go trick or treating. Um, talk to me about Roman Safulin. When I Ooh. look at him, he reminds me a wee bit of Adrian Manorino in the ty- in in the sense that do you see what I mean? He doesn't no. Sounds a bit harsh. Doesn't look like a tennis player, but you know he's got that kind of unmarked kind of t-shirt. It looks like he took a t-shirt out of his top drawer, yeah, and he got a racket and he wandered on and off again. I, I have that feeling. I still do always when I see kind of Adrian Manorino. Has that kind of the style, that kind of gait about him. But he's been building up, building up, getting the results. He, he's not the Russian that we talk about. There are others we talk about more. And then he, I'm not saying it was all him, but then he gets a straight sets victory over Carlos Alcaraz. Oh, he's playing brilliantly well. Oh yeah, he's uh, he's here to stay. That's for sure. Took him a little while, I think, to really find his game. Had to grind away for a few years. Had a few injuries to deal with. He was a top junior, um, uh, junior Grand Slam champion, I believe. And uh, yeah, he. Uh, the, the most impressive thing for me when he played Alcaraz was that it didn't feel like he was playing Alcaraz. It just felt like he was playing any old match, and he wasn't really phased at all. And you know, you you hear players say a lot, um, just play the ball, not the player yeah, because when yeah. you play against the player Carlos Alcaraz you might lose before you've even started um, and so you just sort of ignore all of that but it's very difficult to do and you don't really see it happen that often but Safiulin was just playing it like it was another challenger match just no fuss very similar to Aslan Karatsev in that way I think yeah. the pair of them they have real similarities as uh, these Russian players who have just taken a little while to get their game together but once it's together you go oh 
why haven't you just been here in the top 30 forever? <laughs> Where have you, what's been going on? And they're just like, yeah, well, I knew it was happened, whatever. And yeah, it was just no fuss to pick up that win over Alcaraz. And look, Alcaraz was way off of his level. But again, just to be the opponent and to see the ball coming that wasn't really a ball you'd be used to from Carlos Alcaraz and just saying, I'll just play the ball. That's not good enough. Fine, cool. I'll just get on it and, and get the job done. And he didn't panic trying to serve anything out. He didn't panic, you know, when he was up. And like we've seen, there's been so much nerves, so many nerves around for everybody. But yeah, he was brilliant. Um, love his game style. Really no vulnerabilities at all. Takes the ball really early. Good amount of pace about what he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, no sort of massive weapon that he can blast his way through. But, you know, if you drop the ball short, he's just going to skip on up to it and say, that's not good enough. Come on. I think, the great, I, think, I think the great thing is, and he's talked about this, and Karatsev have talked about this, is the, obviously there's watching Rublev, Hashanov, Medvedev doing what they're doing, but it's also the support they've got from them. Remember at the start of this season, but the back end of the United Cup, and he's part of the team, and everyone's like, who's this fella? And he's, he's part of the team because he grew up with them, and he played juniors with them, and he's a friend of theirs. Just because we haven't really been talking about him, he's still there and thereabouts, and he's spoken about the support and being around them and just practicing with them and, and seeing the success they've had. And I think we've always spoken about that, that little Russian trio and how close they are, but I think he's another example, <clears throat> excuse me, of someone who's just been around the whole time, and he's taken the support from them just to you know give himself a little bit of confidence and also there's no pressure because those three are doing what they're doing he can just make his way through but for you he is here 100% to stay he just looks rock solid he's very yeah. good I mean he's, he's just gone out to Karan Hachanov who he's good friends with and has of course known him um, since they were playing juniors together um, but yeah just just looks so repeatable there's just no vulnerabilities it's not like he's redlining and that's what we were saying when he was playing yeah. against Carlos Alcaraz it's like yeah, anyone who thinks at this level which was very very good anyone who thinks that this is going to drop off has got another thing coming because this is just how he plays this is how he's been playing for months now and sure he's able to do it against Carlos Alcaraz when a lot of players can't but you know Alcaraz is going to have to lift his game and he just wasn't able to he looked really rushed which is something that Sofiolin does quite well he gets up the court pretty nicely uh, takes the ball early we have got quick courts but it just looked like Alcaraz was just not ready just wasn't ready to play he was late to everything even when Safiolin would return sort of just two steps away from him okay deep with real quality because Safiolin was playing well but you know Alcaraz is reaching and not quite balanced and yeah he was really all over the place from the start it just never came together it felt like he I have got no idea what went on before the match. It what it appeared it appeared that he had not done enough preparation on the surface to because he he was just rushed all the time and it's a quick court. Um, maybe that's not the case. Maybe he was just feeling a bit sluggish that day. You know, I I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he he was way off. How difficult was it to commentate on Andy Murray against Alex de Menor? Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> it was really <laughs> tough. That was really tough. Going back a few days and a few epic matches. That was one of the first epics. And um, it, what made it more difficult was the fact that it happened a few weeks ago. Exactly the same situation. Andy in Beijing was 5-2 up with a break. He had match points, two match points at 5-3. He had, or 5-3. He then had a match point in the tie break at 6-5 and he lost it. And he really lost it. He lost it mentally, you know, he was clearly unbelievably stressed. Um, and then fast forward, oh, God, 
three weeks to Paris. He's playing De Menor again. He's 5-2 up in the third, this time with a double break. He has match point and he lost it in a tie break. And it, 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 you just, once it started, you just sort of knew it was going to happen. Once that first break was, the first break back from Dimonor, because you thought when he got to 5-2, you thought, well, this time he's got a double break. That'll make the difference. You won't be as nervous because you've got a couple of chances. Um, and when Dimonor got that first break back, it was pretty shaky from Murray in that game. You just sort of knew. You were just thinking, oh, it's going to happen again, isn't it? You could just feel the tension for Murray. You know, he talked after the match about how he's not enjoying it. Um, and you could see that. It's just filled with tension. And I know, look, he's always been that way, hasn't he? He always likes to play with that bit of spite and that bit of, you know, sort of, you know, pretty uh, <laughs> coarse language that he has towards himself and his camp. That's how he's fired up. But it was just way, way over the top to the point that he couldn't quite play. You know, things like missing second serve returns. You know, that's just experience. This guy's won three grand slams. You know, he just just wasn't able to to make it happen. And, and you could see that he was feeling it slip away. And it was another loss. And tough. <laughs> well, it's not that tough for Dimonor. He won. But for Dimonor, you know, even at the handshake, he's obviously got so much respect for Murray, but he, he was a bit sort of sheepish because I think he knew how much that was going to sting. Twice in a row, that's a, a problem. You know, you don't lose from match points up very often. And yeah, so to do it, you know, twice in three weeks to the same player. Who, and Dimonor has got the best head-to-head against Andy, of anyone, um, in terms of Andy's never beaten him. Uh, and it's 0-4-6 now. So that's mental. It, it, that's all mental. That, that defeat was mental? Yes. Yeah, I don't think Dimonor did anything differently. He didn't miss. He, he didn't really change very much about what he did. But, but Andy just couldn't play the way he had been playing to get himself to that position. I mean, through that, that third set to go double break up, he was unbelievable. He was comfortably the best player on the court. So, like, there is that massive positive that, once again, two matches in a row, he's pushing a top 20 player. In, and I say top 20 player in Dimonor. He's just outside the top 10. I think he's 13, maybe. Um yeah, 13, something like that. But he, you know, Murray really could have won both of those matches on a, a different day, different situation. So he's pushing a player who's ranked 13 in the world um, and really competing. OK, he didn't actually get the win, which is a big problem because when you lose, you don't get another match. And it's a big problem when you're trying to climb the rankings and when you're trying to get something going and go on a run and get some momentum going. You know, if you lose, you're done. So you just have to turn those those matches into victories. The consequence of losing is so huge. If you think first round in Beijing, first round here, could have been entirely different. Who knows what would have happened after that? But, I mean, huge positives in terms of the level. The level that Andy played for almost all of the match was, was brilliant. But it doesn't sound afterwards that he was taking those as positives because as you say it is still not only a first round defeat in a tournament that that years ago not that many years ago he was winning or going deep in but from the position he was in so I've never been in any position like this so tell me how does it feel mentally when and you must have been in this position at some point I'm assuming when you have such a convincing win and then and then it all slips by and you're not winning another point like what what is it that's going through your mind how I don't know, try and put me in a in a sort of place. I know it, it won't be exactly the same as that, but being on a court, facing someone, you're dominating them and you lose the match. It's, it's, it's pretty awful. I mean, you feel quite lonely. I mean, he had his camp right behind him, of course, uh, and now you can have some courtside coaching, but you've, you, it's sort of mortifying, really, 
you just and you just feel it you feel it in your gut you can feel it in the crowd because they're giving you that sort of energy as well you know and it's it's just it's so tough to feel it slip away you know um and uh yeah it's it's just yeah it's brutal i've look i've experienced it on a big stage and it, it's just absolutely awful um i wasn't quite in that much of a winning position but i mean i played hingis at wimbledon on court 2 um and i had too much points um but in the, i mean i think oh, oh god i can't really remember exactly but i think i won <laughs> the first set on a tie break and then i was Lovely, yeah. 6 5 up but she was serving maybe or f- right. a 5 4 up but she was serving and i had two advantages on her serve um but it, so it's not like it was on my own serve and it's not like i was a break up or i was you know very much, it was it was tight all the way through and did she did she win those points when she was match point down or did you lose them well first one I was really tight couldn't hit the return in the court went back to juice played a good point hit a winner went back to advantage and then um and then yeah she won the next point she played a a good point I at least made the ball back into court which was quite good (laughs) but then I was it I didn't win another game I lost six love in the third oh I think as you say it just how lonely it must feel out there and I guess from Andy Murray the position he's and I know he's already always said that he doesn't look back to sort of who he was, he's just working on, on what he is and who he is now. But he's also said that he he wants to be competitive. And I know you're saying, yes, he's competitive because look at the position he got himself in against someone who's in that form, but he's not progressing. So I guess you're saying there's enough positives there, but I guess the situ- conversation, if he has a conversation with himself or his team is, yes, I'm competitive, but I'm not progressing. And he always said, didn't he, that if he wants to be going deep in the majors, he wants to be making progress. So that that's, I, I don't know, do, is it a conversation he needs to be sitting down having in the off season or not? What what conversation? What, what does he need to do? If, as in what, he said he's not enjoying himself at the moment and he didn't feel good out there. But in terms of, I don't want to say the word, quitting or retiring because I know you don't like hearing that when it comes to Andy Murray but from what you're seeing is there still plenty for him to go forward and push forward is this not it's it feels like it's only going to get harder these situations that he's in or do you think there's enough that he can push through as I say when is there the conversation when you go yes there's some good signs but I'm losing first round and I'm losing from winning positions do you think he needs to have a tough conversation about the future or not I think he needs, he definitely needs to reflect on the current situation. This has been a really annoying habit. I say annoying for him, right? This has been a yeah. really annoying habit really since his return. Um, and I know he's won, he won a title in Antwerp, I believe. Um, but big moments have been tough for him. There's been a lot of matches that he could have won and he just didn't. And obviously before the surgery, he would have. Now, this is not to do with um, anything physical. It's not to do with the surgery. It, this is just to do with the fact that, you know, if you have that amount of time off, you have to rebuild so much into your game and to know how to deal with tight moments and to just sort of flow with those tight moments and and just feel it, just do the right things all the time without having mm. to think about it. That goes. Then you have to think about it. And if you think pretty much for I mean he did have he had obviously his back injury he has had injuries through his career his ankle as well but ultimately he was at the top for a long time 
And, you know, those it just happens. You just walk up to the line and you just do what you need to do. You just pick the right serve. You just execute it well. It just happens. It's free-flowing. You don't need to think. And when it's not working for you, if you're out of form, whatever the situation, you've been injured, you have to force yourself to do things. You have to say, right, this is a big point, okay? Like, what's your favourite serve? What's been working? And you have to go through all of this before you prepare the point. And it's so much more sort of full of effort and it's just so much harder to to execute it really um and to force yourself to focus on the right things you've also got loads of tension of course you know, your breathing's different because you're nervous whatever else it it might be and sometimes you just can't execute you can't swing the racket but um yeah so i don't know i mean in terms of quitting look it's just up to him if he wants to play he can play he's ranked 40 in the world like he gets into these tournaments. It's not like he's demanding wild cards left, right and centre. He's in off his own yeah. back. Um, he's not far away from being seeded at slams. Um, mm. You know, and and I mean, if he was, if he were just able to convert some of these wins, as I say, it's not about just winning that match. It's about what it means. The fact that you're still in the tournament, you have a chance to make a run of it. But if you... Yeah. If you if you, if you lose these tight ones, if you keep losing these six and the thirds, five and the thirds, yeah, played really well, taking the positives. You know, you you, you don't get the the chances that the opportunity that comes with it. Everything's just really stuttered and, and difficult, and that's what we're seeing from Murray. It'd be so great to see him playing three four matches a week every week. That would just be so so great. But look, he's not seeded. He's playing Dimonor. Um, You know, mm. that's the first round matchup for him, and uh, you know it's tough. It's it's really tough, but I totally believe he can find a way because both of those matches against Dimonor, he absolutely could have won. It's just 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 yeah. mental. That's all it was. It was one point away. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of '90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Plenty, plenty of positives to take into New Zealand, take into 2020. I can't believe we're nearly in 2024. It's crazy. Uh, last time we spoke about Jensen Brooksby, his 18-month ban for missing three tests, his whereabouts unknown. Casper um, Ruud spoke recently, actually, and thinks it's too harsh, the penalty. And he says it's really difficult in terms of having to let people know where you are and you wake up at six in the morning and... I need to go for a pee, but I'm not going to have a pee because the drug testers might come and then I might do this and I won't be able to do this. So he was kind of saying he feels it's, 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 and he said it's nearly taking three years out of the career of Jensen Brooksby. He's not wrong about that. It is. Look, Casper, if you're listening, go for a pee. It's fine. (laughs) It's really, it's fine. You don't need to work yourself up about it because like I explained on the pod last week, this is the reason there are three strikes. Say you go for a pee and you then can't produce a urine, a valid urine sample within, I, I think, is it four hours? There's there's a time limit you have to produce in. If you can't drink enough coffee and orange juice and whatever to be able to do a valid urine sample within four hours, then it does go down as a failure. Okay, but you've got three strikes within 12 months. So that's what it's for. It's for these sorts of mistakes. As I said last time, it is not for sloppiness. And both Brooksby and Ema were sloppy on what they were doing. And even the one 
X that they got, the one mistest that they got that they are both they have both contested, yes, that's a mistake, and that's what the three strikes are for, just in case you know these things happen. They are giving you the leeway for all of this to be worked into it, and a lot of people would argue that they shouldn't, and that how do you catch dopers if they get so many chances to mistests and manipulate things and say, "Oh, but I was at a different hotel or whatever it is um, so Casper, just pee. <laughs> <laughs> we got, uh, we, got, we got a bit more information on, on the on the Brooksby misses. I think one, he changed his practice court, but didn't inform me he changed his practice court. And wasn't he on a different continent <laughs> for one of them? Well, he was nowhere near where the uh, the anti doping official was. Yeah, he was sloppy. He was really sloppy, and it's it's such a shame that he and his team and the USTA and the ATP had not done a good enough job in making sure that he understood his obligations as an athlete. That's a real shame from everybody, and ultimately he pays the price for that. Um, in terms of lessening 18 months, yeah, 18 months is a harsh sentence. Uh, sentence is a harsh suspension, of course <laughs> it is. And yeah, it takes you a while to come back. It's, it's brutal. And we've seen from players that have had suspensions for other reasons for actually failing drugs tests that they never really did come mm. back to the level they were at before. But, but <laughs> like... You know, Casper saying that it's too harsh or anybody saying that it should be less than that. The, the, the consequence is already a ban of 18 months. Do you understand? That is massive mm. and should terrify the life out of you if you were on your last strike. But it didn't. So why would reducing the ban down to nine months be a good idea? You've already got younger players, two of them in one season, being so sloppy and obviously not caring about the 18-month ban or thinking that they can overturn it and they can just appeal and it's fine, not respecting the situation, that they've ended up in this situation. So reducing it's just going to make that more likely, surely. Because at the moment, 18 months is really serious. It's ended the career of Michael Emer, probably. He says it has, mm. but it, it probably has. And this is going to be really, really tough for, for Brooksby to take and 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 get back and start from scratch but you know so why on earth would you make it shorter the the, the consequence obviously isn't working <laughs> is, is is it harsh enough should it be even longer i don't know I don't, I, some would say that i don't know 18 month ban for stupidities a little bit harsh and it could ruin the career of someone who's dedicated his life to it stupidity if I, if... stupidity three times and the thing that if you're if you're wada and or the ITIA, yeah. so these are the anti-doping, anti-corruption agencies that we have, you know, and and you know, so an organisation like WADA, they work across all the sports. Your job is to try and catch people cheating to to make this fair. They are do they are providing a service to players to make sure and athletes to make sure that their opponents are playing the same game as them in terms of their preparation. That is an uphill battle. Uh, to be honest, it's a losing battle. It's so, so hard to catch players and and um, to even just keep up with the new developments in drugs that they're taking, that they have to find them, they have to test them, they have to ban them, they have to... It takes such a long time to do all of this. And if you if you work for them, you have to assume that anybody missing a test is doing so deliberately. That's just... That has to be the mentality um, because... You, that's what you're trying to, to, to find out. And if you were doping, it'd be so easy to say, oh, you know, but I, I changed my hotel room. It was under my physio's name or it was this. And then on the other one, it was this. And you could go a whole year taking drugs because every time something you can give a, an excuse. Right. So, yeah. you, you know, it, it's just it's not a workable 
solution. There are already three chances. And as I say, a lot of people would say that's that's uh, at least two too many. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Look, I, I said it sort of jokingly that, <laughs> you know, should the ban be increased as uh, to deter more people? I, I don't think that. But, you know, <laughs> obviously the seriousness of this didn't get through. Well, hopefully... I mean, it shouldn't take this, but hopefully now we've had the two cases, recent cases you mentioned, it will act as a deterrent, maybe especially to those younger players who maybe either haven't taken it as seriously in the past or thought, as you said, they could maybe talk their way around it because it was stupidity rather than malice. So maybe that could be a... And also, and also, can I just add, sorry, just to jump in, that it's not, it's not making an example out of them either, as in... These are the rules. Clear cut, always has been. They they would have known when they're on their third strike. They, they knew what the risk was. It's 18 months. It's been 18 months for both of them. This isn't just sort of a decision they came up with 18 months. That is the consequence of missing three tests and not having any sort of defence. Is, is this a, a consequence of, of players having too many people around them doing too, thing, too many things and not taking responsibility for enough? I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, look, the players bear responsibility for everything. Um, everything that goes in your body. and But if you're thinking this person's doing that or if you hire someone who's going to give you supplements and give you a fitness plan and tell you what to eat and then maybe there's someone else booking your courts and someone else doing your flights and someone else doing this, it it can, well, A, you I guess you're the team leader and you're paying these people to do that job. You expect them to do it, but you can lose some of the important stuff and, and maybe they should just take back control of certain things. But I guess if you've got people around you doing it for you, you just continue to let them do it for you because ultimately you are the boss but and you're paying priorities. them. It's priorities. This is the number one priority. This is a criteria. Yeah, but if you're paying but if you're paying for someone, a fitness trainer, to get you fit, that is their priority to keep you no, fit. No, no and, but your so priority if, if so- as a player, as in you, you, you're not allowed to play unless you pass these tests. So like the rest of it, fitness how many doesn't players? matter. You can't play. No, but how many players do you think if you sat down a raft of players of a certain age and said, give me your priorities as a tennis player in, in what you have to do, that drug testing and not missing drug, that's not going to be, I don't think that's going to be what they tell you. I think, but, but you that's what I mean? because they're going to talk, talk training and playing and fitness. But I don't think, so who is not making it enough of a, of a thing that they're not worried about it because I don't think if you sat down and you asked them what are your priorities day to day uh, whenever you've done interviews about who what people do and what what does your day no one's ever talked about marking the little box and getting ready to maybe have a drug test it's only when you were telling me about the drug tester sitting in your car <laughs> when you took your driving test you know it's it's a whole new world players a day in a life of Daniel Medvedev he's not going to tell us about the hour he waited in in case the drug tester maybe turned up it, it, it it, it doesn't seem it is something that is maybe talked about enough or that they, some people, I'm not saying any names here, prioritise enough. But it's because it's a given. It's just, it's a, it's a... What's a given? It's a given that you you pass these tests. It's just, it, it's not, it, I don't know, it, it doesn't... Do you know what I mean? It's, in, it's not going to be a priority that they list when they talk to interviewers or journalists or presenters like yourself. They, because it's... It's not what you, you guys are interested in. But in terms of the admin, the, the, the admin of being a tennis player, it, it's number one priority. But if, but if they said, but if they said, yeah, you know, a day in a life, well, there's this hour where we put aside in case, you know, for drug testing. That is interesting to people. I don't think people, 
really do know that they have to do that or people go for the kind of I don't know five to six in the morning because the chances are they're going to be in bed they're not going to be out I, I do think that's quite interesting but I just think if you talked about how many of these young guys is thinking about uh, making sure they put the right name or making sure they're in the right place for the they sh- I'm not saying they, sh- they should but I'm just wondering how many are and for ha- it should be a priority but I'm just wondering for how many is it a priority yeah, look, and look, maybe you're right in that for quite a lot of people, it's just it's not one of their their top priorities, and it absolutely should be. But, and this is what my case with Ema and Brooksby, when you are on your last strike, it has to be. It just it has oh, to yeah, be. Yeah, it is more no, yeah. important than turning up to tournaments. It's more important than booking your flights. It's more important than training. It's more important than trying hard. Anything, anything that goes into the life of being a tennis player should come second to it and that until you're then off the hook because you're three you you then go back down to one because you've been 12 years since the other one if you see what I mean because it's it's a rolling 12 year thing so three missed tests within a 12 month period and and you're done so you know yeah I, I, I can't call it anything else other than sloppiness um I got some breaking news for you would you like some breaking Ooh. news this is at 20 past two on a Thursday afternoon in the UK, Yannick Sinner has withdrawn from the Paris Masters as Naomi takes a drink while nodding at the news. Not highly unexpected then. Oh, it's just such a shame. Yeah. It's such a shame for him, really. Um, yeah, no, I mean, not unexpected, just particularly because the way he talked about it, he said, oh, I'll have to see how I wake up tomorrow, I think was that his exact wording yep, or something yep, like was, that. Yep after his match yesterday. Um, and that made me think, okay, he's considering not playing. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are the consequences. We've seen many, many matches when players have played, but have just had nothing to give, just had nothing left. Um, and, you know, So it's not really that different from a player pulling out because it hasn't been competitive. I mentioned that Madrid final for Zverev and yeah. uh, he, he didn't have anything left. I mean, he got absolutely destroyed. Um, and he just he, he was exhausted. Um, so yeah, no, I mean it. It's tough. I think it's definitely something that that can be looked at. I think for sure with the tournaments where you don't have the day off as well. That I mean it, it feels even more extreme. The fact that he's expected on court in the afternoon of the day that he just finished his last match at three o'clock in the morning so you know and he's not going to get to bed until i, I doubt he was in bed much before 6 a.m really oh wow and and a massive thing for him is is being fit and ready and able for turin he's an italian it's in turin it's the atp yep, final he's already qualified and he's, yeah and he and he's and he's spoken about how important that is and he wouldn't want to do anything to risk not being able to not only take part in that but be the best he can be physically in that so it's uh it's really sad but as you said a, a lot of people talking about it through the his quotes and then gosh you didn't get to bed till six this morning can you imagine Oof, that'd be a shocker um in terms of um i just wanted to talk about the women not necessarily everything they've been saying about conditions etc cetera, et cetera, but we've got the wta finals taking place and we're getting some lopsided results there, aren't we? We're getting some absolute thrashings of certain players. And a lot of complaining. <laughs> and lot That's of complaining. what's coming out of there. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, lot of co- I, I, you know what? I know a few people, as you do, working out there. They're not complaining. It looks lovely. It looks really lovely. But yeah, I think Cancun's the, great. Possibly a bit windy, but it's great. A little bit windy, but I'm getting some lovely like videos of views and sunsets and pools. But 
that's not the thing. The thing is, it's it's the courts, it's the playing, it, it it's where they are, and and where it, there's a little um, social media debate on. Yes, some saying the players need to speak up because they'll make a change, and others saying they're not actually helping themselves by speaking up. They need to sort of crack on. Where would you fall on either side of that? God, um, I don't know really. I, I don't know. I, I I suppose if the situation is, and I don't know whether this is the situation, but if the situation is that you've had tried to have these conversations behind closed doors and you feel yeah. like you're not being respected or listened to, which is what we've heard from some players. I think Sabalenka was saying that. Um, Von Drusev has also said it. So I, I think if you're at that stage, you can then sort of understand them being a bit more public about their, you know, their situation. Yeah. Um, I think right off the bat, if if they haven't really been trying to speak to the WTA or whoever it is that they need to speak to to, to sort out any issues, then, um, you know, it's probably a bit harsh to just start um, slamming it, it publicly. But it seems from what we've heard, that they have been trying to have these conversations and have felt like they haven't really been listened to or taken seriously. Because, look, sometimes there are complaints about things and nothing can be done about it. But uh, you do have... uh, You feel like you've at least got a dialogue going and that people care about the situation, but sometimes there's just not much that that can be done about it. It was, of course, very late. I think they were still laying the court on Friday and the first match was on Sunday. So only the one day, really, to get out there... um, so it, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough, but I can understand why the players are are pretty, are pretty, pretty frustrated. It's also I just find, it, I, yes, you have to have finals and things you qualify for at the end of the season, but at the same time, you know, there, there's people sort of, you know, bits of them hanging off, you know, injuries that haven't healed, mentally they're drained, physically they're drained. So I always find. You, of course, there's the logic. You you build up, you get the points, you qualify, but you don't always get the best of those people who have qualified. They may be in the best through the year, but this time of year, you know, they're exhausted. There's We saw Mukova pulling out before it even started. Yannick Sinner now, he's still got the tour finals to come. It just, it's that time of year where just unusual things happen because some of them, they're ready for the off-season. Some have still got some stuff to do. We've got the Billie Jean King Cup finals next week that I'm working on. We know some players aren't going to make that journey um, from Cancun to Seville to take part. It's just, it comes back to this crazy calendar that we have. It's the, it's the kind of non-stop roller coaster of tennis, which means wonderfully every week we have lots to talk about. You need to go to pick up children who are no longer dressed as spiders and... Cat. What did you have? Cat. Spider and a cat. Sorry, you did send me a photo. Sorry, Anna. I have, I've sent you a couple of photos, but I didn't take loads. Um, but... As it's been an epic week in Paris, the chance are you're going to get more epic matches. So I need you. You cannot withdraw like Yannick Sinner. You need to be rested. You need to be ready because you've got to go again. Yeah, I do. Such right? a shame. Such a shame for Yannick that we've lost him. He's been playing so, so well. But yes, there's, there'll be epicness just around the corner. <laughs> so I need you rest. I need you rested, refueled, and ready to go. I'm so ready. Um, and I've got to get ready for the Billie Jean King Cup finals next week which is very exciting and uh, yeah so let's well let's look let's see what tennis throws off at us in the next few days there's always <laughs> I'll speak to you soon bye, bye.